As we kick off the 130th episode of The Brian Oak Show here from the Smart Start MN Studio, music from the Canadian band The Sadies, a song called Northumberland West, which sounds a little more jam bandy than I remember it sounding, because I'm going to be honest, jam bands are not my jam, to say the very least, but The Sadies are such a good band. Imagine an even more musical... Oh, this is going to rub some people the wrong way. I should have said that better. Imagine a really good Canadian version of The Jayhawks. That's the Sadies. <laughs> That's what I'm going to go with right there. But the Sadies, a great, great band. And here we are, Sean, somehow, against all odds, 130. You and I have sat down behind microphones with guests and uh, once or twice by ourselves. But in that whole time, in, in a year and just a couple months, 130 times we've recorded a podcast. Now, again, I know that every time you record a co- podcast, it's not like curing a, a child with a terrible life debilitating disease, nor is it you know, providing water to a small village that's never had it before. But the fact that you and I have done this 130 times is a little remarkable. I just hope we're bringing people a little bit of joy, the occasional chuckle, make them think a little bit about music, have them hear a new artist that they say, holy shit, that just blew my doors off. Now I'm going to listen to all of their stuff even better by some of their music so when we encourage that strongly with the number of local artists we've had on or smaller lower level artists we've had on in this particular day and age as much as you and i have urged supporting local businesses you know whether it is a local restaurant or Mm -hmm. a record shop or a nail salon or a knife fighting academy whatever the case may be supporting local businesses has never been more important but also supporting local artists so yes you can find weird rare songs on spotify that doesn't really do anything for those artists if you find someone you love and i'm you know we all have limited resources right unless you're a trust fund kid in which case you're not spending on that stuff anyway we all have limited resources but if you find a band you love if you hear somebody you're like Holy crap, that was good. Go spend 99 cents on one of their songs. Buy their music, right? Art should be paid for. We've always believed that. You know, when Sean and I kicked this podcast off, we wanted to do a monthly show for our Patreon members with live music. One of the things we insisted, though, is every artist that played, now were they getting industry rate? God, no. But were they getting paid? (laughs) Yes. Art shouldn't be given away. Art is as valuable commodity, and some could even argue a more valuable commodity than most. Art is not to be given away. And so when you ask, like the number of times people have called me up and be like, hey, would you voice this thing for me? I'm like, okay, well, what's the rate? And I'm not a greedy guy. I'll work for very modest rates. Like, oh, no, 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 there's no money. I'm like, oh, well, then, no, there's no talkie. Bup, bup, bup. Yeah, nope, that's, yeah. That doesn't happen Sorry. either. I mean, but again, like whether you are, no matter what kind of artist you are, your art has value, your expression, your representation of who and what we are has value. And unfortunately, the way we value those, I mean, you have to still have a place to live. You have to have a studio to create your art. You have to have the, the resources, the means, the, the brushes, the chiseling tools, the ballet shoes, whatever it is to create your art. Art should be paid for. So... 
the next time you hear someone you love, go buy their record. Stop by the record store and buy the vinyl or swing by you know, or go online and buy a digital copy of it. Support the art that you love because what else is there? It's the right thing to do. And you know what's amazing is that artists by their nature are very generous people. Mm-hmm. Um, we just had Yua Vang, who I consider an artist. Oh, to uh, say the least. You know, very talented person just offered to create several copies of her Never Give Up on Your Stupid, Stupid Dreams. We're going to be pushing those out to our Patreon members, whether you're a current member or a brand new member. Uh, we're going to pick five people and we're going to ship those out. So she just reached out to me and said, I want to do this for you guys. I love it that you're doing this show. I want to do something special for your Patreon members. Well, I dropped her off a couple of gift cards. And and the reason was not that I wasn't trying to say thank you for her generosity, but I know that, you know, she's got to pay for the materials. She's got to spend the time doing it. Even if the artists are really generous with you, please take care of them. That's all we ask. And, and small businesses, artists, everything. Like, these are the times, right? We're we're going to grind right now. And we're going to be talking to a local artist coming up very shortly. But I consider her much more than that. I've known her for a long time. Although she probably doesn't want to know this because she looks young and fresh, whereas I look old <laughs> and like I was found under a bridge. I've known her for more than half my life. It's crazy to think that we first met so very long ago. But again, she's not possibly she can't possibly be that old so we'll talk more to marcy hill coming up in just a little bit here i want to mention one quick story before we get to marcy though because uh i don't know what six seven episodes ago i think this is episode 130 i think it was episode 123 that we talked to paul charchian and as unlikely as it may be that paul charchian and i spent an hour plus paying tribute to the greatest living american musical saint dolly parton that, that that exists today she came out, there was another story that came out in the last couple of weeks, actually just a week ago, that that raised her even higher in my esteem, which I thought was impossible. Like, if you just thought about who she was as a musical artist, the era she came up in, the music she created, her, her place in the, in the rock pantheon, in the country pantheon, in the American music pantheon, already, that's enough right there. But then you listen to her talk, and... Her deep, deep love of her partner, who has refused to take part in the social life, he's remained in the shadows for more than 50 years. He has no desire to be a part of it. And they're still cool with that with each other. He's like, no, I'm not going to your red carpet event. No, I'll, (laughs) I'll love you till the day I die. I want nothing to do with that life. And they found this incredible thing. But then you take into account all of her philanthropy, hundreds of millions of books provided to kids that don't have access to the right books or enough books that that whole thing is amazing and then last year if you missed the news she put one one million dollars of her own money now you might think like well i mean she's rich what's a million dollars to her it's still a million dollars of her money she didn't have to use and she put it towards development of the coronavirus vaccine well here we are the vaccine is starting to roll out you know your wife is getting a vaccine yes she is and you know my dad's gotten it and i'm waiting for my mom to get it we're all waiting for the people that matter the most to us to get it I consider myself low on the list. We'll wait and see what happens. You and I are non-essential. Well, unfortunately, that's true, Sean. <laughs> I hate that. I hate it that, that that has to be but the it, term. But, it, but it's true. I'm just not essential. But I you guess. know what? Like <laughs> teachers, healthcare workers, the elderly. <laughs> these are the people who want to get. But here's the deal: Dolly turned seventy-five a week and a half ago, making her immediately eligible. And even if she weren't seventy-five, you throw a million dollars at medical research to create something yeah. that's going to save so many lives. You are in line. You deserve to get on that and they offered her the vaccine 
And she said no. She said, and I quote, I'm not going to get mine until some more people get theirs. She did pay a million dollars last year towards the effort. She said, I don't want it to look like I'm jumping the line just because I donated money. I'm very funny about that. Well, Dolly, I've always adored you, and I don't think there's anything funny about it. She said, I was going to do it on my birthday, and I thought, nah, don't do that. You look like you're doing a show. None of my work is really like that. I wasn't doing it for a show. Now, she did go on to say, quote, I want it. I'm going to get it. And when I get it, I'll probably do it on camera so people will know and I'll tell them the truth if I have any symptoms and all that. And then she finished by saying, hopefully it'll encourage people. I'm not going to jump the line just because I could. Great. Good. Time to cry again. Dolly Parton. Good. I was hoping not to cry on the show, but apparently that is not my lot in life. But Dolly Parton absolutely rules. Marcy Hill is our guest. We're going to talk to her next. But first, we're going to hear one of Dolly Parton's most brilliant songs. By the way, there is a new podcast called Dolly Parton's America. But if you have not listened to it, you're going to wonder, even if your heart is already full of Dolly Parton and you couldn't love her more, you will find new ways to love her more. Did you know that she wrote Jolene and I Will Always Love You on the same day? No, I've never heard that before. And Fuck I just finished off. her documentary. Well, again, so Dolly Parton's America. Not that I wouldn't want you to listen to the Brian Oak show, but shit, I am no Dolly Parton. Here's another song to prove why. Dolly Parton with Dumb Blonde on the Brian Oak show.
Y'all come back now, yeah? I was going to say, ain't that the truth, man? <laughs> this dumb blonde ain't nobody's fool. She's one of the best among us. Dolly Parton, as we get into episode 130 of The Brian Oak Show, made possible by Smart Start MN. Smart Start MN is Minnesota's original ignition interlock company. If you or someone dear to you or someone you know should lose their license due to a DWI, you're going to lose your license. Even before you're found guilty, you will lose your license. And you're going to need to get your life back on track. You're going to need to get back into your vehicle and the state of minnesota has to let you drive again if you qualify and if you go through the steps provided by smart start mn yeah and this would be one of those weeks where it's a million degrees below zero where you don't want to wait out at the bus stop a long time or wait for the uber driver to get there go to smartstartmn.com slash the brian oak show they'll give you 20 percent off the installation of the ignition interlock system and then we get credit yeah, well, precisely. They Then they'll know, like, oh, people actually listen to this show? Hmm. Huh. Interesting. Hard to believe, actually. They signed on before we did our first podcast, so not sure what's going on over there, but I just hope it keeps going on. Today's guest is somebody I met when, uh, long before I got into radio, lo, these many years ago, uh, and before Northeast sort of, well, the sort of near to downtown version of Northeast went under, underwent the transformation where it was 20 plus story condominiums and high end boutiques up and down the street when most of the street fronts, uh, street fronts were boarded up and there were still one or two adult bookshops. And the only thing in the neighborhood was Certix. Ground Zero and a little building. Ground Zero. That, that, oh, yeah, they're still there, by the way. <laughs> wow. uh, and also, uh, the terminal bar was there, and yep. it still is, but but all phlegm in the terminal. But there was this old bank building that had been converted into a phone call center where all these young, idealistic hippies and other weirdos and cast-offs had all sort of found a home <laughs> to do a job because they didn't really have any other skills. Uh, I worked there, and there were some days I didn't wear shoes to work. I would get hmm. on the bus You're that guy? barefoot with long hair and oh go into my work. God. I was once pulled aside at Clean Water Action, and I was told, Brian, we don't have a dress code here, but if we did, you'd be breaking it. <laughs> <laughs> but those were the days where I met today's guest, and she is was then and has remained low these many years a very bright light. She has an incredible smile. She is wildly talented as an artist and very adept at what she does for her so-called day job um, and has bright eyes and I always enjoy her company. Marcy Hill is our guest today. Marcy, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Good uh, to see you. All right. It's good to see you too. So you've been an artist and a writer since you were very young. And as I look at your brief bio you sent me here, content strategist, which sounds way above my pay level, my pay grade. I have no idea what that is, but it includes conversation design for your day job. But you've got this fine art side hustle, and you brought us something incredible. So here's what's weird. I don't even know really how to, the right way to get into this. Because long ago, months ago, we were going to talk here on the podcast because I, I, I know that one day robots will kill us all, okay? <laughs> Artificial intelligence will be the downfall, all right? In the words of the opening part of the Second Renaissance, thus did man become the architect of his own demise by creating robots and then not understanding what he had created. <laughs> we head into Uncanny Valley. We make them look like ourselves. We make them make us feel empathy for them right before they remove our head from our spine. I am not cool with making robots look like humans or be like that. Or we don't need to make them smart and we don't need to make them look like us and we certainly don't need to weaponize them. And you were telling me there's nothing to be afraid ai is cool <laughs> but here's the thing marcy i've been in the same room with you 
dressed you were dressed as the Borg queen yes, at a Halloween party I was yes. at. You have to come right up on that microphone. <laughs> and so of course you're on their side. Um <laughs> What were you doing at your previous job? Before we talk about your art, which is really what I want to talk about, but before we get there, what were you doing for a job that was involved with artificial intelligence? I was writing and designing content patterns, and when I say content patterns, I mean dialogue design, mm-hmm. um, for an, a virtual assistant uh, for a big bank known as U.S. Bank, and uh, I no longer work there, uh, but it was a fantastic, really incredible experience and um, my job was to anticipate how a conversation would go with a human being um, either audible or um, through text and uh, basically craft the entire conversation from beginning to end so are you responsible like so when i call to pay my xfinity bill uh, a, a robot voice comes on and says hi how can i help you today in a few words how can i help you today the part that bugs me, though, is like after I say, make a payment, you know, then I hear this fake clicking in the background. Like I'm supposed to believe there's somebody like typing into the machine and like, let me look up your situation. And they're looking it up. Like, I mean, so are we talking about that kind of situation? Like those are the conversations you're predicting? No, but that's called IVR. Um, and that's the the phone telephonic, you know. And, and what does the, IVR stand for? Oh, I don't remember. Okay, that's fine. I don't care. Uh, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get back to you on that. But yeah, no, that that is the phone experience that absolutely nobody enjoys. Nobody. 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 No. Uncanny Valley. At some point, like <laughs> we, we want, so Uncanny Valley, for people who don't know, is they get so good at making robots look like a human or making artificial systems interact like a human up to a point we like it. And then all of a sudden we're aware that it's creepy and not real and not mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. That's Uncanny Valley. And that, that that's, that I apparently I get to Uncanny Valley more earlier than most people do because I hate that garbage. So that's IVR. So tell me how that's different from what you did for your company. Stay with that discomfort. It'll serve you well. Yeah, it will because I'm not, I I will get killed by robots, but I will not be the first. (laughs) I don't want to be that guy. You'll be among the last holdouts and I I will be there with you telling you how to, uh, you know, how to work with them. But no, you'll be working for them and we won't be able to trust you because you're a double agent, Marcy. You'll never know. I know. So anyway, tell me how that's different from what you were doing. All right. Uh, IVR is the phone tree. So you call in and then you have to do that back and forth with them where you give them a single word and you're guided to say this word or that word. And they say specifically say this, this, or this. So conversation design um, actually is uh, something that happens more like in your phone or it's a conversation like with Alexa um, or uh, Siri or something like that. So you have much more opportunity as the human user to craft your own speech. So the, the, the job of the virtual assistant is not to tell you what to say. It's to anticipate how you might say it and then use natural language processing, which is the machine learning piece um, that processes uh, semantic uh, to select what the response is going to be. So it does some thinking for you. And um, that is actually much more pleasant in my experience than calling into IVR seriously. Um, but it, it is a little bit scary because there's something that's doing a tiny bit of thinking. But honestly, it's not much smarter than a programmable microwave. Just saying. Not much smarter, but I mean, that's how it starts, isn't it? All right. I mean, and at some point they begin reporting to robot headquarters and keeping tabs on everyone and pointing out the dangerous elements in human society. I understand that there is great value in human accomplishment with AI. I also understand that we are becoming the architects of our own demise. <laughs> now, I don't know when you became such a stunning visual artist. I don't know when it first came to you. But, you know, when I knew you, we were both very young mm-hmm. and fresh. You somehow still look amazing. <laughs> I look like I've been hit by a truck. 
That's fine. Everything's cool. But a small truck. No, not really. No, I looked like I was dragged about <laughs> a quarter mile by the truck. truck. Yeah. <laughs> you know. No, dragged face down by that truck. Um, <laughs> in any event, it was it was quite some time ago. Mm-hmm. So back then, when you were in your late teens, I was in my early 20s, mid-20s, whatever. Um, <laughs> had you already started doing visual art back then? You know, I started doing art when I was a little, little kid. And um, then... Hmm, Around age 11 or 12, my mother spotted what I was doing, and she associated with my father's family. I didn't have a relationship with my father's family at that point. And he, his family has a long line of incredible artists. And she said, all right, kid, you're going to need some training. And so she found some training for me. And that's when I started um, doing this very intensive kind of one-on-one classical training. Um, and that's in the atelier style, so that's going to be like, you know, one person mentoring carefully in a tiny little studio, you know, very high detail, um, very high focus, which for me, I was a very sensitive sort of shy kid. And uh, I wasn't like out there and really social and stuff like this was perfect for me. Like as a high functioning introvert now, I was a low functioning introvert then. So Mm. this is absolutely perfect for me to have that (laughs) kind of focus intensity. Right. And that's where I started getting my draftsmanship skills. Did you ever, so when you're going through this early intensive training, I mean, you know, I always think of the sort of classic stereotype of the kid being forced to do violin lessons or piano lessons, looking out the window at all the other kids playing, like, and, but no, you get in there and you work on your arpeggios, you know, I mean, like, that's what I think of. Did you, did you ever languish under it? Did you ever resent it or did you love it the entire time? I loved it the entire time, and then um, then my ovaries started doing their thing, and uh. I started to not care as much anymore, which happens <laughs> to a lot of girls. That's how I left Boy Scouts, not because of my <laughs> ovaries, but whatever the other thing is on my side of the fence. Yeah, something about the uh, the creative urge taking a, a bit of a turn, mm-hmm. and um, that's you know that's super common. Uh, I, I can't be mad at myself, but there are times when I've had regrets because I look back and I'm like. Ah, you know, there are all these years, decades even, when I didn't even lift up a pencil because I just didn't see the value in it. And I wonder sometimes, you know, what level would I be at now if I had stayed with it all the way through? Did that have it? Would that just have to do with you or did it have to do with the effect of your peers? Because sometimes Fair, yeah. young women are not as supportive. My Actually, both of our daughters were in uh, taking guitar lessons at the same time. I walked down to the basement one day and my, my uh, daughter was playing the guitar in front of her friends and one of her friends goes, oh, you quit playing the guitar. Mm-hmm. And so I just wonder with you, did, is that something that was just about you and not feeling it? Or did you feel like your peers were, were in some way pushing you in another direction? That's a super interesting question. I've never really considered that before. Hmm. But now that you mention it, socially, there wasn't a lot of support in my immediate social life hmm. for doing it. Which isn't to say that they didn't like or respect it about me. They just didn't care. Yeah. Like, that that's not be. what we did with our time. Yeah. You know, we, we were boys and being ridiculous and making bad decisions yeah that we somehow survived well but, but i mean like and, but i mean but that that's and part of growing are. up it's part of being a teenager is you make those bad decisions but it's unfortunate and that is a very interesting question when you say what might i have accomplished if i hadn't lost my focus early on is startling to me because you know knowing you as long as i have for the first half and again, I'm not trying to date you or age you because you are young and timeless, whereas I am, I'm old like Gandalf the Grey. Um, I mean, I've known you for a long time, and I didn't know anything about your artistic acumen, be it with pencils, watercolors, pastels. The, you do the visual arts. That is your primary outlet, right? Yes. I didn't know 
any of that about you until you started to openly share it on social media. And I, the first time I ever saw it, I'm like, I wanted, I was, I almost wrote something super ignorant and stupid, like, dang, Marcy, you're really good at this. You ought to think about doing something like that. And without realizing that you'd had all this training, that it had been part of you for your entire life, I had no idea because in all earnestness, in all sincerity, and as evidenced by the gift that you brought us today. Oh, stunning. Your talent is outrageous. And so I, I, what, what, what could be better if you had maintained your focus the entire time? I feel like you're like one of those people. I, I once interviewed Mark Knopfler, guitar player for Dire Straits. Mm-hmm. Came out of the gates fully formed. Decades-long career. Number one hits across the globe. Toured the world. Did did everything a rock band or a guitar player is supposed to do. And in that interview, you know, he's kind of like in the, not the twilight of his career, but in the autumn years, let's say. And I said, you know, you've done all these things. You've ticked all the boxes. You have achieved all the marks that a, a professional musician is supposed to make. Is there anything that you that's left that drives you? And there was a couple of beats, and he said, you know, Brian... One day I'd like to sit down and really learn how to play this guitar. Killer. And it, it just, it, it fucking floored me. I was like, I, I, I didn't know what to say. I just, I sat there, you know, it was a phone interview. He wasn't there with my mouth hanging open. I'm like, Mark Knopfler wants to learn how to play the guitar. But I imagine that's a little bit what you're saying, you know, about this. Like if you had stayed committed because your talent is evident and it's very, very expressive. You work well across a wide array of media, but you're thinking that there's not really a limit there and there's always some more esoteric, unattainable level that you could have achieved or may still achieve. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just in, in sheer, just in terms of Uber for one, I mean, just sheer numbers of pieces that I could have created, um, magnitude, size, um, reach uh perhaps. are you talking like guernica like you want to do one of those 18 <laughs> by 24 foot masterpieces are you as big as watch. that uh the night watch bigger yeah, yeah okay nice. okay dutch wow. masters yes exactly uh yeah, yeah something just uh, I, I i mean it depends how you want to dream i mean is it uh, audience that i want to reach or is it uh sheer magnitude of the thing itself and maybe both maybe somewhere in between um, have a really deep, rich oeuvre that somebody could really dig into later. Um, you don't think you already have a deep, rich oeuvre? No, no, I don't. I think I have a pretty slim uh, uh, portfolio compared to so many artists, and I, I know so many working artists who are, this is their entire thing that they do. Mm-hmm. And um, I have nothing <laughs> but like envy and respect for that because I am my own patron through working you know, out there in corporate yeah. America and then doing this because for the love of the gang, you know, because I just really, really love to do it. And when I wonder about what I could have accomplished, I think about technique, absolutely. But I also think about exploration. I can do realism. Uh, that part is pretty easy for me. Sorry. That part's pretty easy for me. Um, but something more expressionist, something in between, um, that would be finding that sweet spot is something that I aspire to do yet. Well, But I feel like as long as you've done this, I feel like you're getting more into it now than you have yes. in a long time. Absolutely. And I feel like these are things that are not yet out of the question. 
the, the, these lofty goals you've set. So maybe some time was missed, but I don't feel like I don't feel like we're closing the back cover of the book just yet. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. I think I'm catching up to myself in a lot of ways. And if my eyes hold out, I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Even if they don't, who was it? Galileo? Even after his eyes were shot, he still did a lot of good stuff. We're talking to Marcy Hill. And before we go any further, we've gone too long without a song because people love music. And every guest that comes on the show, they're required to pick a couple songs. And I don't care why. I don't care what they pick. I This is not a cool club. This is about what people enjoy because the shared love of music, even if it's not the same music, means we've still got some of those same fibers, those same ganglia working in our brain. And you've chosen a band that I loved in the 80s but haven't thought about in a long time. Tell me about this and why you chose it. It's uh, the, the Matt Johnson's project. The song is Love is Stronger Than Death. Um, like so many now of our age, I have experienced some profound grief in my time, um, mm. from, uh, even to the degree of traumatic grief. And uh, recovering from that uh, has been an experience of, hmm, how do you say this? Crossing to the other side of yourself and uh, accepting the beauty of life. And this song for me is particularly timely because on this mass level, I've seen so many people kind of meeting me in my own head anyway, where I'm at, where grief is concerned. We are all grieving something right mm. now, all of us. And that brings us so much back to ourselves, what we're capable of, what we love, what's really, really important to us. And this song is about loss, but it's also about redemption and life coming back. And it's enormously hopeful to me in the end.
Growing up, my high school was uh, very John Hughes esque. It was very stratified. Stratified. There were there were very distinct groups, and I don't know levels. And it was uh, there was a caste system. Let's say that to to be clear. And clicks. And in the weirdo cast that I was in, the the was a very strong influence, and that's super <laughs> good to hear. I love, love hearing that, and I'm glad that you picked that one. Marcy Hill's our guest. Marcy, on the most recent episode of our podcast, 129 before you came in today, uh, Martin Dosh, local musician, polymath, mm-hmm. multi-instrumentalist, sorcerer, really, if you've, ever, if, you've ever, if you've ever seen him perform live, as I'm sure you have, Indeed. you know, listening to his music recorded is one thing, but watching him craft and weave and create and conjure what he does as a live musician, there are very few that can do what he does. And so it's not surprising to me that he was an ally to Andrew Bird for years. Oh, indeed, yeah. Or the the number of people he's collaborated with, or when he's simply on the stage by himself with his drums and his roads and 
all of those cables and cords right there that's already nasa level stuff that i can't understand <laughs> but the music that he conjures he really creates something that wasn't there before he's amazing and so i mentioned to him that you were going to be the guest on the next podcast he's like it's funny you should mention marcy hill i'm like well, why is that funny you know her he's like oh yes i know her we went to high school together you went to high school with martin dosh I sure did, yeah. Where at? He was a year ahead of me. Uh, we both went to Benilde St. Margaret's, which is a Catholic school. Neither of us are Catholic, to my knowledge. Right. Recovering um, Catholics, uh, also same oh, with both of us. Oh, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. I was Episcopalian. I was very, very much an oddball, which completely satisfied me. Okay, fine. Um, but uh, so Martin was one of the music kids, and I was kind of, I don't know what you would say I am. What? Uh, you know, you'd have to ask somebody else what you would call me. <laughs> who who were you no in idea. Breakfast Club? Were you Ali Sheedy? Probably. Yeah. 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 I was somewhere Let's between be Ali Sheedy and Michael Anthony Hall. Like, I was definitely a Dorcas Malorcas, played a lot of D&D. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. But not like a super smart science nerd, just nerd, but then also weirdo Darksider who liked listening to The Cure. <laughs> so anyway, that was you. And you met Martin because he was into music? Well, because it was a tiny, tiny school. Okay, there we go. Itty bitty little school. So if you walked any hall at any point, you were going to see somebody. And he, you know, he actually performed a fair bit, as you might expect. Yeah. Um, so you got to see Martin drum. He was hmm. that was something he did. He's always been about that, about that same description. But what he told me is like, well, so because we talked about on the last podcast how he's got a new album coming out, his first in eight years, and he's like, you know, there are certain requirements, like you have to do promotion. You have to get photos taken. You have to do press. I mean, there is just a thing that happens when you're an artist that maybe this isn't your favorite part of it, but to get to the people you want to express your art to, there are certain requirements. And he's like, instead of getting pictures taken, I think I'm going to have portraiture done. And he's like, and Marcy's doing my portrait. <laughs> yeah. That's super weird. Back-to-back so episodes. Cool. Yeah, that is weird. I wish I'd known he was coming in here. I absolutely would have reached out to him. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, well, and it's it's not too late. You absolutely can. Um, but that's cool. So he said that's coming out sometime in June or whatever, and you're doing that. So you have a day job, and you describe your art as your side hustle, but it's got to be, as far as your spiritual nature and who you are, it's got to it's got to feel like more than a side hustle to you. It has to call to you occasionally. It has to nibble at you. So I'm going to ask you a question that I normally, I've, I've asked a zillion musicians, but I never really get a chance to ask other artists. You know, I, I feel like whether you are a uh, a dancer or a sculptor, or a slam poet or whatever. I mean, artists are the cultural expression of where we are as a people right now, okay? Mm-hmm. Not all of us in one spot at one time, but it's it, we are we are the sum of our influences, are we not? Would you say that's fair? Sure, yeah. Okay. That's a in in a very in a very broad broad way of saying Absolutely, that. Yep. So when I ask musicians this all the time, because I find the process fascinating, music and songs mean so much to me. And some artists, they're like, I haven't written a song ever. They fall out of the skies and out of the heavens and into my head, and <laughs> they're a gift that I am just the conduit. And others are like, hell no. I Frankenstein that shit together <laughs> for years before I can even think about putting it out to the public. So when it comes to you sitting down, do you have an idea in your head has it all? Has it started to manifest, or do you sometimes sit down and literally look at a blank piece of paper, a blank canvas, a piece of charcoal in your hand, and be like, <laughs> "Now what the fuck?" I mean, like, what what's it like for you, or or does it cover the spectrum? Does it come in all different forms? You know, it really depends on what the motivation is. Um, am I exploring, or am I doing this for someone else? Um, the for, the latter is an act of service, and the former is an act of indulgence and exploration, and you know, 
seeing what something feels like to do. But it's, also important, yeah. even if it's not altruistic, all right? Like, oh, you, sure. I mean, because yeah. you're doing stuff for other people, but like doing things for yourself as an artist, that's still really an important part of your expression, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, th- that's where I gain the most freedom and where the flow state comes most easily. Because I'm not concerned so much about what somebody else is going to think about this. I'm concerned about what I think about it. And um, actually, I'm not thinking about it at all. I've code switched completely from being the way I am normally to just going two and three dimensional and only being visual. So like I can I can look at you and take a snapshot of your face and then I have a three dimensional model of it in my head. God, so please don't. I not just, my face. I'm sorry. I just did. So <laughs> and then once I once I've rendered somebody's face, it's always there in my head. So every time I see that image that I've rendered by others with a photograph of it. I, I know it in an intimate way that I wouldn't have otherwise. And, and when so it's an intimacy. When you're creating your art, mm-hmm. is it silent or are you listening to music? Sometimes I listen to music. Sometimes sometimes I'm silent. Uh, sometimes I have a movie going. Um, the other night, what did I have going? I had Star Trek Beyond going. That is so entertaining and brainless, and it was absolutely perfect. <laughs> Trust me, I love entertaining and brainless. <laughs> That's exactly what I needed in a beautiful, beautiful use of the, the song of Sabotage. oh is star trek beyond one of the reboots yeah 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 see i i i deeply love the reboots like deeply because for chris pine to reimagine james kirk one of the most iconic and comic caricatures of all time to be able to effectively reimagine that and do it in your own way i think is one of the great theatrical accomplishments in a very very long time i thought he killed it and i I like the new bones i like spock i like uh, yeah no so i love all that stuff you brought us today um a print of one of your works of george floyd now the smart start mn studio here is located at 48th in chicago this is a man who lost his life 10 blocks away from here and we talked about this on the last podcast and his is not the only story like that of course but one of the takeaways, one of the blessings that came from such a hideous, monstrous event is that it, it set off, for whatever reason, this one set off a chain reaction. Mm-hmm. Something that happened less than a mile from where we're sitting right now set off a chain reaction that was felt around the world. Did it change everything overnight? Have we fixed all of it? <laughs> God, no. But has this iconic man's face become something that none of us will ever forget as long as we live? The answer is yes, and so it mm-hmm. continues to inform us. And this, this is gorgeous. This is this is stately. This is noble. It's wonderful. When you sit down to do something as iconic as a portraiture of George Floyd, mm-hmm. when are you? So I ask the same thing of musicians when they're writing a great piece of music. Mm-hmm. How do you know when it's done? Did you start this and scrumple it up eighty times before you were done, or did you start? And work on it so meticulously that you only had to do it once. I did it twice. I did it twice. Okay. Um, that doesn't happen very often. Um, in fact, I don't know that it ever has. Now that I think about Meaning it. you always do things and you take the first take? Yeah. 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 Um, I, I'm trying to think if there's an exception to that apart from this one. But no, I tried first going black on white. As you can see, this is a white on black. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's white pastel and a black background. Right. And um, it was still during the thick of the protests, and the riots were very, very. Cl- sorry, the flashpoint of the riots were very, very close to my house. I mm-hmm. live in Seward, and mm. you know, the the yeah the 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 precinct that went up in flames was my precinct. That was my post office. Mm. That was my target. All of it just burned to the ground. Right. And I was working on my first George during that week, and then on the final day, 
um, I had I'd been staying in Edina just like to get away from it. And then the final day of like the worst of it, I was in my porch working on this charcoal that I was trying to do and it got dark and the roaring of the of the cars started and mm. the noise began and the gunfire. And I was like, oh, my God. And of course, the, um, the helicopters were already going. And I realized that something terrible was happening inside of me where I felt very much like I was in wartime. My brain was no longer an organic being. It was this thing that was going, that was wired for survival. I couldn't create anymore. Mm. And I wasn't going to be able to for a while. And that, it, that turned out to be 100% true. Uh, after I finally gave up on the piece, which just wasn't coming, um, I thought, okay, white on black, that's a whole other thing. I can think again. I've seen the damage. It's over. I've walked the streets. You know, I've seen, I've seen the water. I've seen the flames. I've seen the smoke. I've seen the, the rubble. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to try again but I'm going to do this other thing where it feels more boss relief. It feels more intimate. It feels more, you said stately. I like that word. And, um, it is, this is a majestic piece. This, well, like, so you brought in this lovely plastic sleeve, (laughs) but I mean, and we, we adorn the walls of the studio with our art. I'm getting this frame because I feel like this is a proper piece of artwork. And it also is a proper, I mean, it's one thing to be like, I'm just going to do a portrait of George Floyd. Mm But we're talking about George Floyd. So yeah. it can't be approached lightly, and it doesn't look like you approached it lightly. It looked like you felt every single second of this particular drawing right here. It looks like all the tears and the yeah. pain yeah. and the you seriousness. Can the you can see it in his eyes. Everything that's important about what happened to George Floyd and what it did to the city and what it did to our world is in this right here. Mm-hmm. That's a heavy responsibility as an artist. Do you ever, I mean, like when you're creating, do you feel that? Yeah. And, you know, for this one, there was actually something directly tied to it having to do with supporting the community. I was just telling Sean when you stepped out for a moment that uh, I actually did this um, to raise funds for Juxtaposition Arts. And I successfully raised about $2,000 for the organization. And the idea was to make something that people would want, that that would be a a, a memento from this time. um, And that would support, you know, youth in a predominantly black neighborhood, um, you know, getting that urgency of, of art and, and the, the, the primal sort of expression of connecting to the world through things that you make. So. You talked when we talked about doing this originally, you're like, what are we going to talk about? And I threw out a couple of things and you're like, we can also talk about the urgency of art. And I loved, loved, loved that phrase because I, I, I gotta be honest when it comes to art, like going to a museum, looking at visual art in almost all its forms, I feel like a Visigoth. I feel like an idiot. I know what I enjoy, but I don't really pretend to understand art. But then you see a piece where you stand there for 20 minutes Mm. without realizing you stood there for 20 minutes Mm -hmm. and you're like, Oh Oh, that like, and you don't have to have classical training. You don't have to have a background. You don't have to have an appreciation for perspective or light or the law of <laughs> thirds or any of that. It, when it hits you, it hits you. So you did this for juxtaposition arts and people could go there to find it. Correct. Um, they actually would have to contact me through my Instagram. I don't know if you want to do IG+. Plus I want here, to do but... that right now. Let's go ahead okay. and do that because I want people to see your art. If people are like, well, okay, she sounds like some schmancy pants artist. <laughs> Let's go ahead and see some work, Marcy. <laughs> Where do people find your stuff? I'm uh, at, at sign E-X-M-O-S-S, and that's Instagram. So just find me there. And, and do it I one more time because you do have the mask on. Sorry. Uh, at sign E-X-M-O-S-S is my handle. Okay. E-X-M-O-S-S. Yes. 
Very good. All right. And they can go to Instagram and see your stuff there. But then people can also, because we do really get behind supporting local artists on this show, people can purchase your work. Mm -hmm. Can they even, like, you know, uh, decide, like, hey, I'd like you to do my portrait can they do that <laughs> absolutely i'm neck deep in commissions right now really yes <laughs> oh yeah that's absolutely. good that's a quality problem isn't it, <laughs> it is. martin is one of them yeah well yep. of course because you know <laughs> martin dosh but i mean like the first record in eight years i don't know if you're excited about that oh, but i'm, I'm definitely so excited. excited about Are you it kidding? oh my gosh and I, I talked to him about this. I'm like, my God, there has to be a record release show. Because, again, I own the last record he did, 20, what, 14 or 13's Milk Money. And it's a great record. Mm-hmm. I would much rather see him do it live because, as I said, he's a conjurer. There, there's, mm-hmm. there's not really anybody who does what he does live. Mm-hmm. Even other people who do looping and that kind of stuff, he's pretty remarkable. He's tapped into something. He something absolutely I can't did. touch. Something I can't even <laughs> Feel. <laughs> yeah, but also like this this portrait of George Floyd I'm holding in my hand that you wrote, that you made, mm-hmm. uh, that's something that most people can't touch and can't do either. And that is when you talk about where could I be if I'd really paid attention, that's why it's hard for me to understand that phrase. That's why I, I associate it with the Mark Knopfler phrase. This is fantastic. I mean, that's that's as good as it gets. What what were you going to do that was better than this? I don't know. <laughs> I'll let you know in 10 years. <laughs> I, 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 I can't wait to see it because I will be duly impressed. It's time for another song. We're going to hear uh, from the band Stereolab, who I like very much, but I don't know if I'm, I know this song. Tell me about why you wanted to play this song. This is the uh, intro track on Dots and Loops, their 1997 uh, album. And what I really like about it is a bit of a counterpoint to the first song that you played that I had sent along. And that it's um it's about distraction. It's about modern life. It's about the busyness and the everyday and the crazy, crazy. Do we really want to get back to things being so constant, so busy, so back and forth? Do we want to always be ping-ponging? Do we want to be desperate for distraction all the time anymore? I wonder what happens now. And so that's why I sent it along.
Stereolab has one of the most interesting and it's weird because they do sort of the electro glitchy dream pop and they have throughout their entire career, but it never sounds the same as it did from one record to the next. And even within one record, the the variance within that. So to the to the non initiate. They'd be like, I don't know, this sounds like weirdo Euro pop. Um, <laughs> but they really, they, they care and they, they explore the space. And that was a great song right there, Brackage by Stereolab off Dots and Loops. Before we wrap things up with our guest, Marcy Hill, um, we should probably say hi to Sean, who, in addition to being my business partner, my longtime friend and colleague and associate, is also a sponsor for the show because you are a realtor for Edina Realty, the 50th in France location. And here we are in early early February where nobody buys or sells but of course our world has gone upside down and nothing makes sense anymore so people are still doing that aren't they yeah I think that people realize they need their art space they might need mm-hmm. space away from their other family members oh, uh, brother. and uh, oh, brother so people are buying and selling it's odd uh, I mean inventory is super low right now right so for a seller this is a great time but people get nervous about like am I going to be able to find somewhere else to live yeah you know the 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 incredible thing about right now, which doesn't always happen, is that the interest rates are really low. Mm-hmm. And so if you're looking to buy, you can buy a lot more than you could before because they're as low as they are. Right. There's not a ton out there right now, but there will be. And I always say to people, look, even if you're not sure, let's meet, let's talk about it. I'm not going to high pressure you into selling your house. That's ridiculous. But I will at least talk to you about, okay, here's some things you could do if you're looking at selling. Uh, one of my uncles who lives around the corner is thinking about selling. I'm going to go give him some suggestions, and he may tell me to go to hell, but he's my <laughs> uncle, so, so I'll deal with it. That's but, what Irishmen do to each other, that's though, exactly, right? His name, yeah, is, exactly. his name is Pat McCarthy. Hey, so. Of course it is. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Yeah. So, um, tie to tie to tie Exactly. So and he hates he hates his name and he hates being Irish. What? Actually, how yeah. could you hate being Irish? Isn't that odd? I love being Irish. I do too. I, I lived too. there. You lived there? Where did you live in Ireland? <laughs> I lived in Dublin. Oh, 
for a year. It was amazing. I, I used going to, to school like you or just because right you're now. like, F this, I'm going to live in Europe for a year? A little both. I hate nice. you. Nice. <laughs> I used to like you about 15 minutes ago. Well, no, no, no. Let's be clear. <laughs> That's a dream of mine. That's a dream. You don't, you don't hate Marcy. You're just so bitterly jealous you can't see past the red mist in front of your eyes that right now. That is so true. What, okay, that's what you, I thought. Let me just say this. But before the end of my commercial, because yeah. this Which is my time, Which has gone on way son of a, too long. I'm here for it. When were you there? I was there um, right about uh, a little after the turn of the millennium, actually. Oh. So during the tiger, uh, what that was their colloquial term for their uh, their big economic boom. Oh, yeah. I just love which it was that. largely tech based, right? Yes. Yeah. No, I, I was there in Y two K for a radio promotion, Whoa. and I was on the other side of the planet. My wife was left back here at home with a an infant child, and we were like, the whole world's going to shut down. Everything will collapse. We'll be separated forever. Know that I love you, <laughs> and off we go. And it turns out Y two K. No need to set your clocks back. Everything (laughs) was fine. Everything was fine. And then we were there in 2005 to see you two in Ireland. We Uh, were. Brian and I were were there through another radio promotion. So back to real estate. If you're thinking about leaving the country and moving to Ireland and you want to sell your house, just call me at 612-859-2594. That number is also text-worthy. And don't forget to follow uh, our guest at xmoss, E-X-M-O-S-S, on Instagram. And she probably has some great ideas about where you might want to hang out in Dublin Could or be. surrounding small villages like Navin. Oh, there are a bunch of lovely villages around Why there as well. Why Moss, by the way? Why Moss? Uh, this is a kind of a personal matter, but um, when I was... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Look at that. Always, always digging in. Wow. Always digging wow. in. <laughs> you son of a... <laughs> so uh, X is... Um, I don't remember if it's Greek or Latin. I want to say it's Greek. And it means um, fr- from. Okay. Um, and I uh, Hill is my legal name. Okay. I was adopted by my mother's second husband when I was eight years old. Okay. My last name is Moss. Okay. That's how I was born. So you're and, an ex-Moss. Yes, and that family is where that genetic legacy comes from. Yeah. So Understood. Now yeah. we know. Well, here's the thing. I don't usually dig into people's backstories like that, but Sean's a dick. So <laughs> well, um, if you wouldn't have moved to Ireland for a year, it never would have asked that. Wow. Um, Marcy. I had it coming to me. You, uh, so you sometimes make art out of compulsion. Sometimes you do it for a commission. Apparently right now you're doing a lot of them for a commission, <laughs> but that's the nature of art. And this is something that Sean and I have always been a proponent of. If a band is playing buy their music, pay for tickets to go see their show. If, you know, if somebody's doing free art in the park, whatever, whatever sort it may be, when the hat goes around, throw a couple bucks in the fucking hat. These are artists without art in our lives. It's, it's darker. It's, it's more black and white. Not there's anything wrong with good black and white art like this right here, but you know what I mean? There are fewer variations, the shades of gray, the, the variance of color, the, the little moments that you don't expect, the, the unexpected moments of joy or sorrow. Art, there are songs I listen to intentionally to cry. Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid of crying. And in fact, I do it with with some frequency and I'm also very good at it. Um, you know, but those are the things art is important. Just like the, the, corner bistro is important and just like your kids knife fighting academy is important you want we just want them to get the training we don't want them to actually use the training unless they need to that's true you never know (laughs) once the robot uprising happens you're you're gonna need to use laser knives to cut the cables on the robot dogs the day is coming marcy those things are kind of scary they are they are kind of scary Boston dynamics can go to hell all right no there's gonna be a day where those things are sitting on the corner weaponized looking around and be like 
You look like that one guy, and you're going to run. laser eyes. And you're not going to outrun the robot dog. You're not going to outrun, because it can just keep going and going and going. Anyway, um, so people can find you and your artwork and make further inquiries at at XMOS on Instagram. Is that the best place for them to go? Yep, that works. All right, will you come back and do this again sometime? I'd love it. It's been a joy. I feel like we have lots more we could talk about, but here we are. We're at an hour, and it's time for us to call it. Um... You also like music, I know that. And you, I mean, you know, everyone loves music. And it, let me ask one last question before we let you go. So, you being an artist, artists need time to ruminate. They need time to explore. You need time to stare at a at a blank canvas or a blank page to kind of get your head around it. And then you begin, and then you totally Bob Ross that shit out, and you just <laughs> you come up you come up with this beautiful fucking landscape or whatever the case may be. And so downtime or quiet time or at least devoted, thoughtful time is crucial, but there's been a lot of it lately. Mm-hmm. You're a mom and mm-hmm. you are a homeowner and you're doing all the things that we're all doing. Has your lockdown been beneficial to your art or is sort of the detached and somewhat soulless nature of the life that we find ourselves living right now, has it detracted from your art? How do you feel right now? Both. Um, the thing about making art for me is when I started doing it and started putting it out there in social media, as you observed me having done a few years ago, finally. Finally? Well, okay. I mean, good, because it's good. (laughs) It's really good. And I I couldn't believe I didn't know about that part of you. I kept it pretty close to the vest. Yeah, you did. As you can confirm. Um, but I realized that like, this is something that I wanted to do to connect with other people. Mm -hmm. And so it was about, I mean, finding community just sounds so cheesy, but it, it was much more about connecting to another really to another person in a very individual way or just through inspiring them or whatever it may be. I don't know if you ever saw the um, the charcoal I did of Jeremy Ilvesacker. Yes. The musician guy. Yeah. Mm. And so let's Who's talk. also going to be on an upcoming episode of the podcast. I am so not surprised about that. Yeah, of course and I'm not. very happy to hear it. That's so awesome. He's, he's teaching my son. He's the maestro who's teaching my son. Come on. He taught him back in black the other night. Jeremy Ivelsacker has played with literally everybody <laughs> in town. It would be easier to give a list of the people he hasn't played with than the people he has played with. And that's who's teaching your son to play? Yeah, every That's Tuesday. fabulous. Every Tuesday. Fabulous. <laughs> it's fantastic. Yeah. Tuesdays with Jeremy. Tuesdays well, with Jeremy. Yeah. Well, we're going to have him on in the near future, and we will have you back for sure, Marcy. Thank yep. you for coming in today. Thank you. Thank All right. right. Uh, thanks to Smart Start. Thank you, Sean. Thanks to Marcy. Thank me. Yeah, thank, thank you, Brian. Brian. Yeah, Thanks I guess. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you're welcome, you guys. No problem. <laughs> Happy to help. Uh, thanks to AudioQuip, who provided us with this fine room. Thank you to all of our Patreon members. And we're going to end with a song. One of the benefits about having a podcast with your name on it is occasionally you get to be indulgent. So I was reminiscing the other day. I was laying in bed thinking, is it worth getting out of bed anymore? Do I care? And of course, unfortunately, I find a reason to care every damn day. Well, that's because I I rolled over and went, Brian. Oh, gross. (laughs) Gross. I'll never sleep again. In a friendly way. I'll never sleep again. Just a friendship thing. Gross. Just a sleepover. No big deal. (laughs) Not in the same bed. You sleep on the floor in a sleeping bag next to the bed. (sighs) How many times have we talked about this? Creepy freak. Anyway, my point is I was laying there wondering, is it worth getting up? And then, you know, what's weird is even on the days where you kind of want to just like check out completely and be like, fuck it, I can take a day off from everything and people will forgive me and I'll get past it, it'll be fine. I still find a reason to get up. And I got up and I went and reached into this little box of old 45s I had. 
45 RPM, seven inch records, right? For grandpa's telling a story, kids gather around. <laughs> um, and I was digging through and I found this song that I played to death. My very first ever time doing radio at Radio K. Radio K had just started on October 1st of 1993. And about a month later, this record came out. And I couldn't tell you anything about the band. I can't tell you anything about the song other than I fell so in love with it. And I suddenly had this venue. I'm like, I can play this every single day and make people listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) And I did. And then I forgot about the song forever. And this 45 languished in obscurity in my life for a very long time. I found it about a year ago, found it just the other day. And I thought, well, I'm just going to see if it's on Spotify so we can play it on the show. And I'm like, 0% chance this obscure Minnesota band is good. Oh, wait, there it is. This is Big Red Ball, an incredible song called One Day as we wrap up episode 130 of the Brian Oak Show. Thank you, everybody, for listening.